Luke 2, I'm going to begin reading at verse 1 down through verse 20. I'm going to focus in on that message and take it a bit more topically this morning. Now hear the Word of God. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea and to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, an angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now even into Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it, wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for not only the great message of peace, but the reality that you have brought it to pass in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this day that you would grant the gift of peace once again to us as we look to you in faith to receive it. We thank you, Father, that these things are true. And we have this great vision for the future of what you have granted us and promised us in the consummation when Jesus returns. There will be joy upon this entire earth at such a day. And how thankful we are that we can look forward to His second coming, and that as we look forward to it, we can labor today in the light of its reality. And so we ask that you would bring peace to this congregation, to the people of this congregation, into our hearts, into our minds, into our soul and spirit. And we pray that the Spirit of God would make the application specific to each one of us as we need. We pray these things for your glory and in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen. You may be seated. This is the fourth week 
in the Advent season leading up to Christmas Day. And during this week, traditions in the church have considered this angelic message that I just read from the second chapter of Luke. This message of peace that were first given to the shepherds, but which was given and for the entire earth. And therefore, the focus of this week has often been the focus of the message of peace. The peace that God gives to sinners and to this entire world through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, the way we generally think of peace today falls greatly short of really the peace that God wants us to understand from the Scripture. And that's why the Scripture has to help us to understand and to reveal to us the biblical concept of God's peace that He wants us to know and enjoy, experience and share. There's an Old Testament term in Hebrew that is that which... In context, the angels were professing and celebrating that evening, and the Old Testament term is the word shalom. The word shalom had a richness and a depth to its meaning that became even richer with greater dimension in the coming of Christ. And the sharing of this news on that night was a sharing of the reality of shalom coming to this earth in its fullness in Christ. At the heart of shalom, this word, this Hebrew word that is often translated peace, is the state of well-being. It's the state of well-being. The physical prosperity, the spiritual restoration, the spiritual salvation, the the completeness that God intended for man from the beginning. It is not restricted merely to a cessation of turmoil or an interlude in a time of war. But it is the well-being in the fullest sense of the word. That is biblical shalom. That's peace. And in that, there is restoration. There's harmony. There's prosperity physically and spiritually. There's fullness. There's completeness. There's soundness. God's peace is a blessing of prosperity and salvation fullest sense of what God intended for humanity. This Old Testament concept of shalom comes into the fullness in the New Testament in Christ, in the person of Christ Jesus. And the term peace is such a characteristic of the kingdom of God of which now the king of peace has come that it is used multiple times in every book in the New Testament. God's covenant relationship with His chosen people is called a covenant of peace. There that you meditated on earlier from the prophet Ezekiel. The term Jerusalem literally means city of peace. Jeru-shalom. 
It is the city that is identified with God and His people and is indicative of the kingdom of God here upon this earth. Jesus was made a priest after the order of Melchizedek, who was the king of Salem, the king of Shalom, the king of peace. If there's one thing that this world needs today is Shalom peace. Perhaps you're here this morning and your mind is in turmoil. Your spirit is disturbed. Your soul is disquieted. Perhaps there is war within your heart against your neighbor or in a relationship of some sort. Maybe there's disorder in your marriage or in your life as a child or parent or in another relationship. Perhaps you don't have a settled spirit that things are right between you and God. What you need is God's shalom peace. I want to cover the topic of peace here, which is only going to barely scratch the surface. But to consider this message today in several points. But the first one is, we have to understand that peace is the normal state of things. In 1 Corinthians 14.33, it says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace peace. That's the normalcy. That is the state in which God created. But since the fall of mankind into sin, there has not been peace on this earth until the coming of Christ His Son. Peace is the state of original creational normalcy. God is the author of this Peace and this normalcy. Peace is not merely a lack of war, but it's a state of soundness and wholeness, of well-being and completeness. In that state of well-being, there is tranquility and security and harmony and concord and prosperity. The state of being is what we refer to as peace. It is a state of being. And that's the meaning of shalom in the Old Testament. Now when Adam sinned, the human race along with the entire world fell from this state of normalcy, from this state of peace. Sin disrupted the state of peace and sent the world into chaos and disorder, and things didn't work right, people didn't live right, we couldn't relate right. And since that time, there has been disorder and tension that has ruled this earth, disharmony and disunity, enmity and hatred, wars and anger and bitterness rule in the hearts of men. And the heart of man is disquieted in his mind and his spirit and his emotions are severely distressed. 
And new emotions in this fallen world have then emerged as thorns and thistles in the heart of man, such as worry and anxiety and fear and envy and bitterness and hatred. All of those are more than mere emotions, but they are also emotions of disorderliness in the heart and spirit of man, which is in contrast to God's shalom, the normalcy in which He created. Our world has been anything except a state of peace. Sin is the disruption of the normal created order that God has created in the paradise of Genesis 1 and 2. And yet since the state of the fall, we've been in a state of disrepair, a state of disorder, a state that lacks God's peace. And the lack of peace is a twofold disorder in humanity. It's number one and foremost is disorder with God. And number two, by extension, is disorder with one another. When man sinned, he rebelled against God and disobedience and nature of disorder then came into this world and into man's heart as a result. Man's sinful nature is in opposition to God and everything He stands for. It's in opposition to His shalom and to peace and to this harmony of order. The Scripture says that man was at enmity, at war with God. And you are no exception. That's your problem and my problem and how we came into this world with the inherited nature from our first father Adam. And in Him, in Adam, we all fell when He fell. That's why Paul says in Romans 8-7 that the carnal mind is at enmity against God. And he says in Colossians 1-21, and you, he says, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, against your Creator. In Ephesians 4.18 it says you were alienated from the life of God where there is shalom. See, this life of alienation from the life of God and disorder with God naturally led man to the second Disorder, and that is disorder with fellow man. If you're not right with God, you can't be right with your fellow man. Because all relationships spring from the fountainhead of that relationship that God has with His Creator. It wasn't long after the fall that we saw this when Cain rose up and he killed his brother simply because his brother's works were righteous. And now in this world, there is a disorderliness among men in unrighteousness. Peace as the normal state of things has been displaced with disorderliness, rebellion, lack of harmony, chaos, turmoil, war. And this is why you have trouble in this life. This is why relationships 
just don't work so easy. This is why there's disharmony in homes. Why divorce is so common. Why people today are struggling to know who they are. What gender they are. How God has created them. And why they even exist. This is why science is so messed up. And why we have to follow its many turns and courses if we were to follow the science. This is why wars exist. Perversions are rampant. And why things just don't work like they're supposed to. There's disharmony in God's orderliness of this universe because we have chosen this and this is our curse. God is not the author of this mess. He is not the author of confusion, but He is the author of peace. There's only one way that this can be fixed. You can't fix it, and I can't fix it. We can't fix it together. We can't vote on a president that can fix it. No king can fix this except the King of kings and the Lord of all who govern. And that is why God sent the King, His Son, to the earth to establish His kingdom, a kingdom that would be characterized by peace, a kingdom that would be full of God's shalom, a kingdom whose message would be peace to the world, a message of which this peace is reason to celebrate and to cause the angels to come and declare the birth of this great King. Peace is only something that God can fix. It's only something that God can give. Peace is the gift from God. And He chose in His grace to give it. And to give it lavishly. To give it sacrificially. And to give it fully. So that there would be harmony and peace and fullness and completeness and well-being here upon this earth yet once again. And that's exactly what He did in sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to this world. Well, the first thing that needs to be addressed in this disorderly world, if we are going to understand peace, if we're going to have peace, is we have to have peace first restored with God. It was this disorderliness, this is the root of all of the disorderliness here upon this earth, this disturbance of peace with our God that sent the entire world into this tremendous problem in the first place. And that's the first thing and the main thing that needs to be fixed. Our peace with God. There are two aspects to address this restoration between us and God, and that is, first of all, objectively, peace must be made. And secondly, subjectively, peace must be received. When we think about objectively and subjectively, the objective 
work of peace is something that God did in Jesus Christ. God must deal with the issue in the first place. He must destroy that which destroyed peace. And in order to bring peace back to the earth, He has to deal with sin. And so objectively, that is what Christ came to do. Ephesians 2 speaks of this, among other passages, when it says, For He Himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Having abolished in His flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in Himself one new man from the two, making peace. And that He might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And He came and He preached peace to those who were afar off and to those who were near. This is what Christ has done. Where there was enmity with God and man, He came and He destroyed the enmity in the work that Jesus Christ has accomplished upon the cross. Christ bore the sin of His people. And He died upon the cross to bury the sin issue. And He rose again to give life and to recreate this world in peace and bring the harmony that it was missing. And now peace is available in Christ Jesus. And while Christ has objectively restored peace upon the earth, there remains the subjective aspect. The objective work is accomplished. If you believe it or not, it is accomplished. But there is a subjective aspect in order for you to have it personally. And for you to acquire that, Jesus did that for you. You don't earn it. You don't pay for it. You don't merit it. How can you have the peace that God has given you in Christ when Christ has done all of the work? God has given you this as a gift, but it is not yours unless you receive it. And you must receive it by faith. And that's the subjective aspect of peace. And for you to have it personally... And to have this peace and God's shalom. To have harmony in your life and in your relationships. To have the peace with God of where you were at enmity with Him. You have to receive God's gift of peace by faith. God asks of sinners to repent of their sins and confess them and to turn from them and trust the Lord Jesus Christ and receive His shalom and the fullness of well-being, body, soul, and spirit. And God gives this gift of peace to this world and to you in a person of Jesus Christ. It remains to you to trust Him. To believe His Word. To accept what He has done for you. And to receive it through the arm of faith. God has given a gift. Your reception of it 
is by the arm of faith. God requires every sinner to turn from his sin and receive his Son as this gift of peace. To trust Him with your life. To do things His way. The way that you naturally think is not a way of peace. The way that He has taught us the things that we are to obey. The Gospel that we are to follow. The things that we are to teach all men whatsoever things He has taught us. To be a disciple are the ways of shalom. The ways of peace. And you have to trust Him. It's not a natural thing that you can have. It's supernatural. This is a gift of God. This is not something you can conjure up in your spirit. This is not something you can dream about and hope for and try to do it in your flesh. This can only come by receiving the supernatural gift of God through Jesus Christ and living in trust in Him. This is the good news of the Gospel of Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace. Well, the second disorder that needs to be repaired, the first order was this disorder between God and man. But inseparable from that, because it stems into all the other relationships, the second disorder that needs to be repaired is the peace of men with one another. The peace with you and me. The peace within husbands and wives, with church members, with those outside. The the whole world needs peace. And that's what the kingdom of God is about. That's how it's characterized. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. There's a correspondency between the peace that we have with God and the peace we have with our fellow man. The two are inseparable. This is often true for characteristics of the kingdom of God because He's put a new nature within us. In John, He was speaking about love in this way. How how can you say you love God when you do not love your neighbor whom you have seen? See, if you love God, you will love your neighbor. Now, he's not saying that in order to love God, go love your neighbor. He's saying that the very nature of the love of God is such that you love your neighbor. If you love God, you will love your neighbor. It's a spirit. It's a characteristic that is true. The same is true with peace. If you have peace with God, objectively and subjectively, and you're living with peace with God, you will, by the very character of that peace, have peace with your neighbor so much as is possible with you. You will, have, you will pursue peace. Because peace is the characteristic of the kingdom. It's one of well-being in your soul with your fellow man. It's one of good health in the relationship you have that you desire to pursue. And so once the harmony between a sinner and God has been restored, the peace 
between Christians and others is affected by that. The building of God's kingdom implies the creation of promoting peace among its members. God's people are peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now those beatitudes that were given at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount are not things that we go and do in order to have the promise associated with them. They are the very characteristics of who the kingdom people are. It's how we live. It's what God has changed us to be. It's who we are. Blessed are the peacemakers. So we remember shalom in the fullness here. It's a state of well-being. It's a state of completeness. When there's, when there's enmity between two people, two Christians within a church body, it's not merely a matter of settling a sin issue. It's a matter of pursuing a well-being, the fullness and completeness of harmony in that relationship of which peace is. The church is the expression of peace. The church is the agent of peace upon the earth. And that is the message of Psalm 122. One of you sent me uh, the text of Psalm 122 this morning. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And then it speaks about, in the end of that psalm, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. For the city of God's peaceful people. Pray for this peace. May they prosper who love the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love the peace of God's people. Peace, shalom, be within your walls prosperity within your palaces, the psalmist goes on. For the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say, Shalom be to you. Because of the house of Yahweh our God, I will seek your good. This is the words of the psalmist. Embodied and fulfilled in Jesus Christ who has given this desire, this heart, this characteristic to us as people to be at peace with God and peace with one another as God's family. Jerusalem. The city of peace over which Christ is reigning is the people of God and we must long for Pursue the well-being, the harmony in all of our relationships, the spiritual prosperity of God's church. The breaking down of the barriers of denominationalism in order to see the Gospel unify God's people as one new man, not blown about by every wind of doctrine, but growing up into Him in love. And peace. And so characteristic is peace in God's kingdom that anyone who isn't pursuing it 
isn't fit for the kingdom of God. He doesn't have the character of which the Spirit of God breathes into him and regenerates him. That's the exhortation and warning given to us in Hebrews chapter 12 when it says, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. That's why Romans 8 and this great passage where he begins the transition of application of all of the doctrines from Romans chapter 1 through 11 of the Gospel says, if it is possible as much as depends upon you, live peaceably with all men. And this is especially true for members within the church, one with another. Peace is the state of normalcy. It's the state of completeness in the church characterized by unity of the body, of being one mind and one spirit united together in the Gospel. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13.11 to the church who struggled so much. Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Disturbing the peace in the church is a serious sin and so serious in fact that it contradicts the very nature of the church and it has been shown and revealed not only historically but in the Scriptures themselves that it can bring God's quick and His direct judgment. And for the lack of the peace in the Corinthian church we find in 1 Corinthians 11 that God brought sickness and even death to some who did not maintain peace in the body, but came and ate of the supper of peace. There was such a disunity in their own spirit and, and disharmony in terms of the way they live versus what they then professed. That God would bring sickness and even death when those who came to the Lord's Supper, which was the emblem and the sacrament of God's peace with His people, and by extension with one another, we are to come. That God Himself directly took care of some of the discipline in the church. The one loaf metaphor of which we'll turn shortly as the bread is broken. It's, it's the one body of Christ which was broken upon the cross for you. The one body of Christ divided up into many members, yet one loaf. And we have this play upon the metaphor between the, the one body and the one body united together in communion. The salutation of peace is in every New Testament epistle. Grace and peace be multiplied to you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul would open almost every epistle this way. And God's people are expected not only to live in peace, in harmony with one another, but, 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 but promote it in the lives of one another. Well-being, prosperity, harmony, be unto this home and unto you, he would say. Peace was the customary salutation that Christ gave His disciples. And He says, when you go into a home, bring your peace there. 
And if the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let the peace return to you. But the greeting they were to give in the house was not a well wish. It wasn't a wishing of the house well. It really was a gift that could either be accepted or rejected. And there was this mutual sharing of the shalom of God through His people in that household and to the bearers of peace. And so real is it that if it is rejected, it can return into the giver. At the peril of the one who rejected it. See, we are peacemakers. We are givers of peace. We are agents of peace. We are messengers of peace. I once had someone approach me one time because of a perceived sin that someone else did against them. And they escalated the the matter up into the place where they wanted me to get involved. And the confession and repentance is something in a manner of which the person was looking for that could never be reached by the offender. What I did is I offered to help mediate the conversations and restore the brokenness in the relationship to restore peace that had been broken through sin or perceived sin. Well, this person did not want the relationship to be restored. He wanted a public admission of sin. He wanted it to be decried that the person has wronged me. I do not want the relationship restored. And I said, then I have no business with you. It was a complete misunderstanding of the nature of the Christian faith and the kingdom of God and the nature of our salvation. I will help you to be restored to your brother in Christ and to Christ Himself through this broken relationship. I will seek to pursue whatever confession of sin needs to be in repentance and a seeking of forgiveness, but that is not what the person wanted. See, the result of that is to bring harmony and peace back to a relationship that had been broken. Christ came to restore peace with Himself and with God and with our fellow man by dealing with sin. Sin was the problem. When you finish dealing with sin, as the result of that, you have peace, reconciliation, and harmony. It was not merely dealing with sin for the sake of sin or even for the benefit of the offended. It was to restore a relationship of shalom. And that's where it always needs to go. If someone has offended you, and you need to go to that brother and pursue peace with that brother to the place of of the, 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 the goal, the telos, where that is going in the Gospel is harmony in that relationship. If that's not what you're pursuing, you're pursuing the wrong thing in the Gospel. There's a lot of misunderstanding here. I'm afraid there are many people in the broad church who claim to be Christians but are deceived because they do not understand the very heart and the nature of the shalom peace that God gifts to His people and expects His people to gift 
to one another. Where there is peace with God, there is a longing, an innate, spirit-given characteristic and a longing to pursue this among all of God's people. It's a spirit that works within a man, not just the outward objectivity with man. So if there's anyone here this morning that does not have peace with your neighbor or a fellow church member or with your husband or wife or child or parent or even your pastor, God obligates you to pursue peace with that person. A unified relationship of well-being, of healthy soundness and completeness of good health in that relationship. If that spirit inside of you is missing, if that desire inside of you is missing, if that's not what you want here or in life, then you need to examine yourself to see if your calling and election is sure. Because that is the nature of God in Christ Jesus and the Spirit working in you and through you to do of His goodwill and His good pleasure. It's the very nature of the kingdom that Christ came to set up here upon the earth in the very part of the good news of peace reigning here on the earth. Well, the third aspect of peace, which is not uncoupled from the previous two, is a peace of that state of soul. The peace of spirit. Where there is anxiety and worry and envy and fears and bitterness in your soul. There is no peace there. Where's the disturbance and disharmony and disquietness of your soul? There lacks the peace. But there's prosperity of peace for those who seek peace, for those who pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We all long for that quiet spirit, do we not? That healthy spirit within us that so often gets disturbed. And that is why you see this contrast coming into bear when Paul is speaking about the joy in the Gospel in every circumstance. The end of Philippians, he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, His shalom, this peace that surpasses all of your understanding and your comprehension, the peace that you just can't even wrap your mind around or figure out that comes from no other source. That peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. For He is your peace. Rooted in Christ, in His peace, and His shalom brings the health, body, soul, and spirit, the well-being of the entirety of your person 
This is what God came to bring you in Christ Jesus. This is the gift of God. Peace to you. And while it is a gift from God, each one of us plays a part in this peace with one another. And that's why you have the salutations of greet, peace. This is why you have a peace that you then come with a blessing to give to a home. And if they reject it, that blessing returns back upon you. We greet each other with peace. Peace be unto you, brother. We bring peace into each other's homes. Peace be to this home. May that be a a good way in which we enter each other's homes even this evening as we bring peace, God's peace, through us, the agency, through Christ Jesus. As we promote peace in the inner well-being of others, that's part of our responsibility to pursue the well-being, the, the totality of someone else's completeness in Christ and joy. And Paul even spoke about the joy that he has in the ministry and being related to the peace and the unity of the church to whom he ministered. He says in Philippians, Fulfill ye my joy, being like-minded, having the same love, being of one cord and of one mind. And so much of the disturbance of peace of our soul, this, this inner peace, it stems from a lack of peace with others. Broken relationships cause disorderliness in one's spirit. You know what it's like, husbands and wives, when you're at odds with the, your spouse whom you dearly love and things are not right there. and You long for this peace, this harmony, once again to be restored to your mind, your spirit, your soul, your heart, your relationship. You want it to be healthy. And you know when it's not, there's a disorderliness. A heaviness, a disturbance, a chaos, a disharmony, a tension, a stress. So all three of these, our peace with God, which is the foundation of every peace, it's a state of well-being that Christ has secured for us objectively, but then we receive it subjectively and give ourselves to it by trusting God in all of His ways. Which then goes about and brings Peace with our brothers. And that peace with our brethren, when it is in a good state, brings a peace in our own soul. Living in harmony. Outwardly, upwardly, inwardly is a gift from God. And all aspects of them require faith. Require faith. Do you trust God? Do you believe Him at His Word? Do you believe Him to the extent that you give yourself to it and you obey what He says to do? And this is where shalom comes. This is why the angels came to the shepherds with this great news that will be to all people peace upon earth. And that brings us to the very last part of this peace, which is really the focus of the angel's message here, and that is this eschatological completeness of the entire universe. Eschatology, the, the things of the future. 
the promises, what God is going to do tomorrow in our future. And this is what the angels were declaring to the shepherds that night is the peace, this eschatological completeness, harmony, well-being, soundness of the entire earth back to the state of normalcy and yet even escalated up into the place of glorified peace. Yes, this includes salvation. It includes the salvation of you and me personally. It includes the salvation of His church corporately. It includes the restoration, but it includes even more than that. The salvation of men and peace among men has an eschatological fulfillment and the restoration of all things upon the earth that are broken here. That are disharmony here. That are chaotic here. That are disorderly here. This is peace in the fullest in the most complete sense. A peace that has come to earth in a historic event in the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ, which has begun the peace upon earth in His kingdom at His first advent. And it's the complete promise of the completeness in His second. As we look back to the first, we long for the second because that is when the fullness of this earth will be restored in the great harmony And everything wrong here will be made right. Where there will be no more sorrow, no more worry, no more fears and no more anxiety, no more tensions in relationships, no more bitterness of soul, no more inner turmoil in your spirit, no more fear of God's displeasures and inner disorders that accompany those fears that you now have. There will be a complete harmony in the universe. No more war. No more infighting. No more nations battling against nations. No more infighting within the church Christ came to save. Where nature itself will experience harmony and the little lambs will lie down with all of its predators in harmony. In orderliness. In good health. In completeness where storms will no longer harm, and wind and waves will be still. This will be the final and the complete restoration of peace upon the earth, where the world is brought into the state of normalcy and health and harmony. And that is what we sang about when we sang joy to the world. The Lord has come. And we look forward to His coming back as that psalm, as that song points us toward. And this is what we long for. This is the spirit of which we enjoy with Christ. This is the spirit of harmony with the Spirit of God. This is what the world needs. It needs peace. And what it sees of peace, it will see only in God's people living it out one with another. And by this, They will know that you are disciples, that you love one another. Love, joy, and peace, they're inseparable. This is what was declared that night with the shepherds as the angels spoke of Jesus being born. They rushed off to hear and see these things of peace coming to earth. 
And now we go from here this day. And when we leave here having eaten of a, a meal of peace with our God, a meal of peace and shalom one with another, Interesting how the Passover was a form of peace meal offering. Where the offer sits down with God and eats of the meal together. Once the expiation and propitiation has been meted out, and the problem between God and the sinner has been taken care of, God invites the sinner now to a reconciliation meal of peace. And that's the whole imagery of the peace offering and the Passover meal of which the Lord's Supper is its fullness. Shows us now that the expiation has been paid for in Christ upon the cross. Our sins have been removed. The wrath of God has been appeased. And now Jesus invites us here to His table. Come and dine with me. There is peace here, friends. There is peace with God in Christ. There is peace one with another. And we are to go and be agents of peace and ministers of God's peace, giving it to one another, saluting one another with it, taking it into one another's homes and taking it to the homes of those neighbors around us. And we are to go out giving God's shalom to one another and taking God's shalom out into the world in Christ. It is this that Christ came to give us. and You are now agents of this shalom. You are the carriers of the message. And you have this within your heart. May God prosper your homes this season with His shalom peace. Our gracious Father, this is what we need. We need it at heritage. We need it in our own spirit. We need it in this world. We need it in this community. We need it between churches. We need it in this nation. We need it in the world. And how thankful we are that Christ has come as the King of Peace. You have brought us into a peaceful relationship with our God, quieting the fears because they have all been placed upon Christ, promising to take care of all of our needs, body, soul, and spirit, if we but seek the kingdom and your righteousness first. Where we enjoy the peace of God and peace one with another and this shalom blessing of the fullness and well-being in our, in, our, in our bodies, in our spirit. What a great gift You have given to mankind. A great gift You have given to this earth in Your Son, Jesus. And we pray this day that You would give us the peace of God to settle our disturbed souls, to quieten every worry, to put to rest all of our fears, to remove all of the tensions and stresses in our mind. To bring us into a unified harmony and good health one with another in our relationships here. That this would be our delight. This would be our desire. This would be our pursuit. And may we leave here with a spirit that delights in what you delight in and receives what You have given 
and that trust in that which you have declared and so lives life in obedience once again in harmony and at peace with our God. And we pray for the restoration of all things to this end in glory. So Lord Jesus, come quickly, we pray. It is in Your name that we pray these things. Amen.